0: The Sunday Review
1: with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. We'll be discovering the significant positive effect we can have on the environment by switching just one car journey to the train. Julie Mockford joins us to talk about the East Grinstead in Bloom group. And Geraldine Durrant is here to tell us about the blog she started about her experiences of dealing with her husband's dementia. Norman Wong will be finding out all about the Lingfield Art Exhibition, and Samantha Day will be chatting again to Andrea Watson about the new arts and music programme at the Church of St Peter and St Paul in Lingfield. She'll also be finding out about the Black Cat Firewalk taking place on Saturday the 29th of October. With the arrival of autumn, many Brits are planning to extend their holiday season longer in the run-up to Christmas, but as we become more aware of what impact we're having on the planet... Ditching the car for just one leisure trip for the train instead could result in a 28% reduction on total journey carbon emissions. Here to discuss this latest research is Professor Paul Eakins from University College London and the travel editor from the i-newspaper, Sophie Lamb. Welcome to the show, both of you. Paul, if I can start with you, what did the data tell you about the impact that even small changes can have on the environment?
2: Well... Small changes are small unless lots of people make them, and the whole purpose of this campaign is to say, well, uh, if uh, people who are planning a getaway trip, either this autumn or over the course of the year, uh, if, um, if everyone was to shift one of those trips, just one, um, to uh, trains from cars or buses, uh, then the savings in carbon emissions could be substantial. And uh, for the autumn calculation, that was 186,000 tons of carbon dioxide. And for the annual figure, we've got over a million tons of carbon dioxide, which uh, is uh, 1% of the UK's total travel emissions. And that's just from this one uh, shift uh, by lots of people. Um, And of course, uh, the UK is on a target to reduce its carbon emissions to zero over the next few decades and that would be uh, a significant uh, a significant step towards that so that's what the research was all about
1: why do you think brit's are becoming more eco conscious is it down to what we're seeing about the environment or are the cost of living increases having an influence here as well do you think
2: well uh, i mean everyone obviously feels the cost of living uh, but i think the uh, increasing concern about the environment uh, predated the worries about the cost of living. I mean, we're all becoming familiar with our television screens now showing the kinds of weather events that uh, are not nice. So, very large-scale floods, wildfires. Uh, we're worried about sea level rise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's clear that that's uh, caused by changes in the climate. And it's also clear that those changes in the climate are being driven by Um, uh, human uh, carbon dioxide emissions. And that's why uh, LNER research and lots of other research shows that people are increasingly keen to do their bit in order to uh, reduce these impacts. And um, the purpose of this campaign was to show, you know, this is an example of what that bit might be. And i will just oh.
3: add that after the heat wave this summer, LNER actually conducted some research about the heat wave, and they found that actually nine out of ten people thought that climate change had contributed to the heat wave in the UK this summer. And that's that's a huge number of people that are sort of it's a groundswell of uh, change of attitude, I think.
1: Indeed, Sophie. So now we've ditched the car for the train. What are some of your top destinations for us to explore this autumn?
3: Um, so I, I I did it this summer actually I was traveling up to the Scottish borders with my family and I'd admit that normally we would drive but the the prospect of sitting in a car for maybe seven eight hours with my two young children wasn't that enticing so we did actually take the train and we had a fantastic time in Northumberland actually exploring the coast and the national park Um, and it was a real revelation actually I often go down to Cornwall and you know absolutely beautiful Uh, no one's denying that but Northumberland the beaches were absolutely spectacular and pretty empty in the summer as well so I would highly recommend Northumberland Um, and also the Scottish islands are absolutely beautiful I think you could you know for those who haven't been you could arrive and think my goodness I'm in you know in Norway or Canada it's it's, and it's just on our doorstep. there's so many amazing places we can see as well as fantastic city breaks as well I think Lincoln is a bit of a an underrated gem. Um, I think the cathedral there, they took the scaffolding down earlier this year and just medieval graffiti was revealed. So, so much to see.
1: Fantastic. And as for planning trips by train in general, any tips you can give us there?
3: So LNER has got loads of resources on its website. So um, the campaign website, lner.co.uk, Just One Journey, goes into detail about the research that Paul and his team have done but um, the website the wider website has got tips a a green travel guide so it it shows you how to complete that that green journey so once you've booked your tickets um, then how where to stay what who where to visit Um, and you know just to say that if you're booking four to six weeks in advance you can find some really good deals online so you know if you're booking directly with LNER To get out to edinburgh it can be about 33 pounds one way and i think that's pretty good value and i think value is so important to people at the moment so the 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 emphasis is to kind of plan and plan in advance book ahead and you'll find some really great deals
1: that's great sophie paul thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight into this research as well as some places for us to explore thank you thanks and for more information on the research and some destination ideas, visit lner.co.uk forward slash just one journey. That's lner.co.uk forward slash just one journey. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Shortly we'll be talking to Geraldine Durant. She's writing a blog about her experiences in caring for a husband who has dementia. But first, here's a short extract of a recent entry from the blog.
4: I have called downstairs for James to bring me up a cup of tea after an afternoon nap. The only thing he can still do. But he arrives in the bedroom empty-handed and unexpectedly cross with me. (sighs) For heaven's sakes, will you keep the noise down, he whispers urgently. You are embarrassing me. My curiosity gets the better of me, and I wonder aloud what I have done. There are about a thousand people here listening, James replies, and they are all staring at me. I contemplate the unlikely possibility that a thousand uninvited guests have arrived downstairs in the hour I have been asleep. But my imagination, strong as it is, cannot come up with any scenario where even a tenth of this number could have turned up so inconveniently. Or where, had they done so, they could possibly have crammed themselves. And then I hear the sound of organ music and singing, wafting up the stairs. James, have you been watching television? I asked suspiciously, putting two and two together and coming up with the Commonwealth Day service at Westminster Abbey. Will you be quiet? He hisses again between clenched teeth. You are making a noise in the cathedral and spoiling it for everyone. Fortunately, perhaps, the Queen has not been able to attend this year's service, so she at least is unaware of my social faux pas vis-à-vis the tea, echoing around the pillars and bouncing blush off the cathedral's vaulted ceilings. I explain to James that his supposed guests are mere phantoms, conjured on the screen who cannot see anything going on in our house, and I suggest that if they are upsetting him, he can just go downstairs and switch the TV off. I can't get back to my seat because I'll disturb the service again, he protests, holding a warning finger to his lips. And if I switch the TV off, it will make everyone disappear and ruin their day. The music below swells to a noisy climax. So I tell James that if he creeps back quietly into his pew right now, no one will notice. And apparently he does, because he risks the wrath of the congregation to shout cheerfully up to me, that he has arrived back at the cathedral just in time to bag a blessing.
1: Bless indeed. Geraldine Durand from East Grinstead is a former journalist and children's author. Since last year, she's also become a full-time carer to her husband of 52 years, Patrick, after he was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. As she attempts to understand and come to terms with her husband's diagnosis, she started writing an online blog called Midsummer Madness to chart her struggles and emotions. I'm delighted to be joined by Geraldine now to tell us more. Geraldine, welcome to the show. Can you explain a little bit more about your husband's diagnosis? And did it come as a bit of a shock to you?
4: Yes, it was a huge shock. Um, I'd been aware during lockdown that um, Patrick was getting, I suppose, more confused. Um, His memory was obviously not what it had been. But, of course, it was a very unchallenging time at the same time. He'd become very anxious about going out. So government-mandated staying indoors was actually a bit of a godsend. And it was really only at the end of the lockdown period that I, I felt sufficiently alarmed. As the world was waking up, it was very evident that Patrick wasn't. And so I took him to the GP, and then two days later... We found ourselves in casualty up at Red Hill because um, he was retaining urine and had had a fall in the garden. So they um, catheterised him and of course they did a brain scan to see if he'd hurt himself. And the verdict was that he had quite marked cerebral atrophy, which is the sign of inevitable dementia. He stayed in overnight. I picked him up the next morning at the um door of the hospital, I wasn't able to talk to anybody who cared for him over the night and I asked him if they'd said anything to him about what was wrong and he he said no I can't remember what's happened to me and it was only when I got him home and I unpacked his bag that I found a note stuck between his uh, wash bag and his dirty laundry that basically said uh, your husband's got dementia so it was a rather inhumane way of breaking what was obviously some very bad news indeed
1: Yeah, indeed, that seems like an awful way to find out. What have been some of the difficulties you've faced since then?
4: Um, Well, I think one of the things that surprised me, first of all, was that we didn't get any sort of summons from the GP. Now, I would assume normally if you um, get a report from the hospital goes to your GP that they would call you in and discuss what it meant. Um, Now, I'm aware obviously there is no treatment for dementia, but it can be managed. And so I was very surprised that nobody we were sort of abandoned really and, and felt we definitely have to get on with it. Um, he had been scheduled to have a memory test to um, check his cognitive abilities and that took four months to arrive um, which was eventually done and we were promised a result within a couple of weeks but in fact it took seven more months before we got a diagnosis of Lewy body dementia and of course It's quite important, actually, to get the actual diagnosis, because until you get that piece of paper, other things don't kick in. Um, And the other sad thing is, of course, you can be put on, on drugs which will slow your decline. But I've read recently that in some areas of the country, it takes up to a year to get a definitive diagnosis. And all that time is a wasted window of opportunity. Um, when you could be giving people something that would help. So um, I have to say the system is sluggish, is a kind word for it. And I mean, really, people are just in the meantime left to muddle on on their own. I spoke to a dear friend who'd been caring for a long time for her husband, and she laughed and she said, Geraldine, you will get lots of leaflets, but no actual help. And I think that probably sums it up.
1: How much of that is down to lockdown, do you think, and how much is just simply the NHS needs to do more to help support people with dementia and those caring for them?
0: Well,
4: I think obviously the COVID thing didn't help, but equally one has to ask how long you can go on saying because of COVID, because of COVID. Um, You know, there must come a point where things get back to some sort of normality but the problem also, I think, with dementia is because it can't be cured, it's very much a Cinderella um, of, of the NHS. Um, and of course, the sad thing is it goes on behind closed doors. People who have dementia, they're not out mingling. Um, you know, they're, they're confused, they're sometimes frightened, they're anxious. And so gradually, the world for somebody with dementia, and indeed for anybody caring for them, Gets smaller and smaller, and eventually you kind of disappear from public view. And that is something that concerns me because actually there's a huge number of people in their 70s and 80s with dementia. And tragically, of course, they are being cared for by family members who are also very often in their 70s and 80s. And so, you know, you are left to struggle on really as best you can. Um, On the other hand, when Patrick did get into hospital in the summer because he'd been unwell. I then had the greatest difficulty in getting him out of hospital. Now, we've all heard about bed blocking in um, recent weeks. And my experience was very much that he'd been ill in hospital for two weeks. He then was bed blocking for a further three weeks because when you're discharged from hospital, you're supposed to have a care package put in place but there are no carers. I was told this quite plainly, that um, they wouldn't discharge him until they were sure it was safe to do so, but they couldn't find anybody to to come and help me. So in the end, I spent 3,000 pounds getting him discharged to a local old folks home with a dementia unit, which gave me the breathing space I needed to set up some private care at home and to get the equipment I needed in place. But really, it seems the whole system is clogged from front to back. I mean, people like Patrick sitting in a hospital bed for three weeks, not requiring any medical treatment, but obviously there was somebody else, there was another old boy somewhere who needed that bed and who wasn't in it because Patrick was. So again, it's all part of a pattern. Now, I'm not in a position, obviously, to tell the NHS how to organise themselves, but I think something, as the Prince of Wales um, in the 30s famously said, needs to be done
1: I guess you were quite lucky in that you were able to organise private care. Not everyone is going to be in that position.
4: Of course, but, you know, it, it costs um, around £1,500 a week to keep somebody um, in a residential home. And it doesn't take very many weeks to start thinking, oh, goodness me, this is, um, you know, a huge drain on, on one's savings. And you start to think, well, where is all this going? Um I mean, yes, the, the, the whole system obviously needs completely rethinking, but I think dementia is not a particularly sexy subject. It can't be cured, and I think it's easily forgotten because it goes on behind closed doors, largely.
1: Yeah, how are you coping day by day with Patrick's condition?
4: Well, I think day by day really is is the key uh is the key phrase. You can't think too far ahead, I mean I do feel very often we live on a knife edge of disaster who's been catheterised for the last 15 months, the catheter often blocks, so we're um, constantly waiting around for the very kind district nurses, I have to say they're wonderful, you know, it might be in the middle of the night, um, waiting for two or three hours for somebody to come and unblock him, or we've uh, we've uh, worn a groove in the, the road up to Red Hill, and of course he does fall over occasionally, so Um, we've had to use the fall service, who are also very good, but again, you know, you might have to wait for a couple of hours. So I tend, and I think most carers will say the same thing to you, you just have to take it a day at a time, you can't think too far ahead, you just hope you're going to get through today without um, too much uh, trouble and without disaster striking.
1: Do you get any sense of how Patrick's finding this and how aware he is of what's going on?
4: Well, obviously, you know, the the very definition of dementia. I guess, is that you're not too aware. Um, he knows he's very confused. He knows he can't remember things. Um, he does very little now. I mean, he, used to, he, he was a very intelligent man and uh, a voracious reader and so on. Um, but he is very anxious, um, and I feel I can't leave him for any great period of time. I mean, I went to see a sick friend a couple of weeks ago. And when I got home, I found Patrick covered in blood because he'd had a fall while I was out. Now, fortunately, he had managed to get himself back on his feet, but he'd had no memory of falling and I couldn't see, you know, where he had fallen. But he'd obviously cut his, his face. And, um, and so that's the sort of thing, you know, gradually, you, it, well, it's like leaving a toddler, I suppose. You, you know, you wouldn't leave a toddler on its own, would you? And, and I'm afraid dementia is very much a second childhood.
1: So let's talk about the blog now. Why did you decide to share your experience with others?
4: Well, I started the blog really just as a private diary. I started it the very day after Patrick came out of hospital initially, and I suppose because I'm a journalist, um, I uh, you know write, writing things obviously it helps you get your your thoughts in order, and I suppose there's also that element if you know what they say: no experience, however awful, is wasted on a writer. So I just really started it to record my own thoughts and how we were coping and to have some sort of record of how we were going on. And I wrote it for several weeks with no thought of sharing it, but then I joined some carers groups on Facebook and reading their comments on various things and the problems they were encountering, I thought, well, maybe somebody might be interested in in reading what we're up to. And I I'd like to, to say at, at the outset it's not a misery memoir I and mean, there's a lot of funny things happen and there's a lot of frustrating things. I'd like to think there's some useful advice and I was amazed how immediately popular it was. People immediately messaged and said this is inspiring, thank you, I don't feel quite so alone, you've got the words to express what I can't, we're all going through this together and, and it was really very heartening that people felt um, somehow connected, and of course, it also inspired discussion on these Facebook groups um, about topics that I covered. So I th- felt it in a way; it was not just a, a release for me. It was it was good for everybody. And then it somehow, and of course, who knows with um, with stuff online, it escaped into the wild. So um, eventually, it um, it started turning up in all sorts of unexpected places. Um, I realised I had a lot of American readers. Um, I was contacted in, contacted only two weeks ago by somebody from Karachi. And then when I wrote the piece about bed blocking, um, somehow the Daily Mail picked it up. And of course, once it had appeared there, the BBC picked it up, ITV picked it up. So I've done quite a lot of um, interviews Oh, and the Alzheimer's Society, of course, used it for their um, campaign this year, which was lovely because I just feel it's a a topic that really needs an airing. And and people need to put a face on it as well, because it's not just the patient that um, is suffering from dementia. The whole family suffers from dementia. And of course, it's not just old people. Um, Early onset dementia affects a lot of families and to be honest, I'm grateful this has only hit us in our old age because how you would earn a living and look after a family and care for somebody um, who's so ill, I just don't know how, how younger people do it.
1: Well, I must say it's beautifully written and it has a nice balance of being both touching and humorous. What do you hope people will take away from reading the blog?
4: Well, I think really that the main thing is that maybe they don't feel quite so alone. Um it is a very lonely-making disease. There's no two ways about it. And as I said earlier, I think as it goes on, um, your world starts to shrink. And and somebody said to me actually what I thought was quite a telling phrase. She said, "Dementia is a little bit like the Titanic. There may be acts of small heroism along the way, but the ship always goes down. I mean, there's there's no doubt it is a fatal diagnosis, and but it may you know it's dying by inches and and it's just absolutely sad for everybody involved and so if nothing else I, i'd like to think that um people uh, say may, maybe feel a, a bit less alone on the road because it's a lonely old road
1: that's great geraldine thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and sharing your story with us
4: thank you very much indeed Tim, for giving me the time
1: if you'd like to read geraldine's blog midsummer madness you can visit midsummermadness.substack.com That's midsummermadness.substack.com. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. East Grinstead in Bloom is a group of local residents whose aims are to improve the local environment for the benefit of us all. The chair of the organisation, Julie Mockford, is here to tell us more. Julie, thanks for joining us. Can you explain a little more about the group and what you do?
5: Well, thank you. Yes, Tim, I'm more than happy to. Um, I've been with Bloom since 1992 when my front garden won a highly commended in the front garden competition. And then they coerced me onto the committee. And here we are. I've been the chairman for 10 years. Now, COVID did us no favours whatsoever. We had a really thriving sort of Team, we met once a month. We were worrying lots of borders around the town, and then of course COVID struck, and we weren't allowed to meet, which was really annoying. Um, so it's all fallen a little bit by the wayside. But I'm really pleased that you've contacted me because we are now trying to resurrect it.
1: It's clear that you must have a love of gardening. Where did that start for you?
5: Oh, I do. Yes, I do indeed. And my, my dad taught me how to garden when I was about three. And I've loved it ever since.
1: Fantastic. Am I right in thinking that you manage a number of plots of land across the town?
5: Yes, East Grinstead in Bloom has um, our most uh, ce- celebrated one. Of course, is the Compass Garden, which is is organ. We each have a little area that we do, and the Linda Hordick is in charge of the Compass Garden, and she has a fabulous group of volunteers who meet every Sunday, and. They have done very, very well in the recent South and Southeast in Bloom, It's Your Neighbourhood category. They actually got an outstanding award, which you can't get any better than, so well-deserved as well.
1: And where else can people see your handiwork? Well, we've
5: recently started work on the Windmill Lane garden, which we've put fruit trees in. And I don't know, the more, the more canny people of, of amongst us might have noticed that we've cut the beds in the shape of a windmill, as a nod to the old windmill that used to be down Windmill Lane. So we're going to try and plant those with predominantly white planting, so that they look like the sails of a windmill. But mm-hmm. that that garden also has uh, community planters, which run down the side of the road, which were actually installed by West Sussex county council's uh, volunteer group to stop parking on the grass at school out time Mm -hmm. and it works really really well and not only that we've got children gardening now that wouldn't have had anywhere to garden if they weren't there.
1: Now you mentioned a little bit about some of the in bloom competitions that you take part in what exactly is involved in that?
5: Well the last couple of years we've just entered the it's your neighbourhood category which is into the little individual gardens, and then they're all judged on their own merit. We haven't entered the town. We got our gold in 2019 and then well, then it was COVID, so we couldn't enter that year and we haven't done it since. But it's it's tricky because that is that involves the whole town and you have to prove that all of the councils are on board, all helping you. And we used to have beautiful high street beds now, I'm I, as a town and district councillor, I am really love to see businesses thriving and being encouraged, but their gain was Bloom's, uh, you know, loss. We've lost two of our high street beds because of the external seating. Now, I, it is lovely to be able to sit outside in the high street, and I actually think it would be lovely to be able to walk across it without cars, but... That's a whole different ballgame. So we don't have our flower beds, as many flower beds in the high street as we used to. And it is quite a logistical nightmare to organise an East Grinstead in Bloom town tour when you've only got a few volunteers. So at that point, it would be nice if there's anybody out there that would like to join the committee or join as a gardener because we've got one or two other garden projects that we've got coming up. I'd like to get some new volunteers working on. And also, if you want to learn to garden, it's the ideal opportunity because you're going to be tutored by people who know what they're doing.
1: Are there any other ways that people can help with your group or any others around town?
5: Yeah, I just also wanted to mention I'm also the chairman of the tag team, which is the town action group, which predominantly was doing litter picks. But in actual fact, we do have a litter pick we're going to be doing in October. King George's Field on the 29th of October at 10.30. We're going to have a litter pick. The more the merrier. Come and join us. And the tag team also, they don't just do litter picks. They also do gardens as well. And they entered their orchard, which is at North Down Terrace, which we've recently um, uh, designed Andrew Morris designed it and the team has put it together that that's a lovely area for local residents they can go and sit there's picnic tables and it's just a lovely lovely area for children to play where their mums can sit and have a natter um what else have we got we've got the little garden there's probably some people going to say well that one on the corner of the wreck at Lingfield Road is a mess yes it is And yes, we are going to do something about it. We're going to actually completely redesign it. And we are looking at schools and the children who use the playground to actually contact us and tell us what they'd like to see there because they're the ones that were walking through it to get to the play park.
1: And if there's anyone listening that isn't based in East Grinstead but perhaps still wants to do something locally, is there any help that you can give them?
5: Yeah, more, more than happy to go around and help people and show them what we've done and show, give them an idea of what to do to start up. Yeah, more than happy to do that.
1: Fantastic. So what's the best way to get in contact with you?
5: So my email is j.mockford at eastgrinstead.gov.uk. I don't, don't want to go that one. I've got juliemockford63 at gmail.com. And if they'd like to talk to me, because I know some people like to talk, myself included, my number is 07813 691360.
1: That's great, Julie. I wish you every success in finding some new volunteers for East Grinstead in Bloom. And thanks so much for your time today.
5: Oh, I hope so too. Thank you so much, Tim. That's a pleasure. Thank you.
1: And you can find out more about East Grinstead in Bloom online at eastgrinsteadinbloom.org.uk, including Julie's contact details. But here's a quick reminder. You can email j.mockford at eastgrinstead.gov.uk, juliemockford63 at gmail.com, or call 07813 691 360. We'll post all those details on Twitter at Sunday Review 107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. A couple of weeks ago, Andrea Watson joined Samantha Day again to talk more about some upcoming events as part of the new Arts and Music programme at the Church of St Peter and St Paul in Lingfield.
6: The singing workshop on November the 19th, which is our next uh, event. There we do require registration because we need to know what voice, what type of voice you have and whether you have any experience of singing, and whether you n- can sight-read. And it, it isn't necessary to have any of those things, but we need to register people. Mm. So for that, we would need uh, you to contact Ellie at the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul in Lingfield to get a registration form with your ticket, and those that will be £10, pounds and that will be a, a day-long workshop which will include a light lunch. So very good value. How many voices can you actually take? In the church, are two
7: hundred? Oh wow! Okay, there's <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, they can get in and they can be yes. part of that. Oh yes,
6: yes, yes. Hmm. We,
7: we oh, that's nice. So that's from eleven a.m. to four p.m.
6: That's from eleven to so four. Do people
7: Sorry. So do people stay there all that time, or can they sort of come and well, go? Well, they can.
6: They can pop over to the star if they prefer oh. to go to the star <laughs> for an hour. There'll be a break, obviously. But uh, no, we we hope from eleven to four they would they would stay, uh, and they we would have the break for for lunch and and there will be tea and coffee on offer as well.
7: It's quite a long time, isn't it? What, five hours or something, five hours?
6: Yes, it is. Mm. Uh, it is quite a long time. Well, but I think most singing workshops are, are much longer than that because <laughs> they go on into the evening, ah. and then you have to go away at four or five, and then you have to come back at seven, and then you have to give your concert. But we've decided not to do the concert. We've decided that at this stage, for people coming to this workshop... They probably um, will have had enough at the end of five hours. Um, it is a long time. It just goes to show how much time you have to devote to music if you want to improve your skills. Yes. Oh, and yes, and definitely. I, I'd, li- I'd just like to say, Samantha, that it it is aimed at the older voice, at the at people people whose voices perhaps are a bit rusty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but have perhaps sung in the past or just might enjoy learning to sing.
7: Mm. No, I mean, I it does sound rather lovely. I mean, you're saying vocal exercises and songs. So, you know, gradually I'm sure that would get their
6: voices going again. Yes, uh, I think they all find the time passes very quickly. Mm,
7: I'm sure, I'm sure of that. So that's November covered for, um, Saturday, November the 19th. And that is taking place in the church?
6: That's in... A Every all the, all oh. our events will take place in the church. Perfect. It, the the idea behind this is to make our beautiful Grade One church a little bit more of a community centre. Um, there was an article recently on Southeastern News about Rochester Cathedral, and that again that was a, a drive to get people in, not for church services or in any churchy sense, uh, uh, but. Merely to enjoy the beautiful space, Mm. fantastic stained glass windows, our tombs, our brasses. There really is so much to see and love in that church. It's just a wonderful space to be for a few hours.
7: Right, Saturday the 10th of December, up at 7, we've got the lovely Jenny Green. Yes. And it's a Jenny Green Glen jazz band. And it's
6: a jazz uh, jazz ensemble Mm. And it's called Jingle Bell Jazz. I, I haven't heard her, but she came a few months ago and it was a great success. So we've asked her back.
7: Oh, she's amazing. Honestly, yeah. she's so lovely. Yeah, she can she sing any lovely. sort of genre, really, honestly. Now, yeah. is that one to be paid for?
6: Yes. On on that one, it's £12, 12 pounds, uh, on the door, but £10 pounds in advance. So, And there will be a bar.
7: Yeah. Uh, no, you'll be, and you've got mulled wine and mince pies afterwards. How oh, lovely! Getting pies. really exactly. ready for yes. Christmas,
6: exactly. Exactly. Oh, that is going
7: to be such a lovely event. Now we go back to uh, on to January, not backwards. We're going on to January, where there's a talk about ghosts and memoir writing.
6: Yes, I mentioned that last time I came here, and uh, well, it's the season of ghosts, isn't it? Ghost writing is a very big deal these days. A lot of celebrities have their uh, memoirs ghostwritten one certainly suspects that harry and megan had a ghost oh <laughs> um but you don't have to be royalty to have your memoirs done and you might have a very interesting family story to tell and self-publishing what used to be called vanity publishing self-publishing is also very big these days yeah. and you can actually have a lovely book for your uh, ancestors for your um, grandchildren that records your life, um, bound with pictures, uh, and it and it doesn't cost a lot. Very often people struggle with putting together the the words uh, and structuring the book. So that's where a ghost comes in. Uh, and we will be talking about the various people who offer this service, the costs, how to go about it, and again, hopefully, as with most. Talks, it'll be quite interactive. We'll be asking the audience to participate.
7: Now, moving on to February, I know it seems a little while away, but it's <laughs> creeping up exceedingly yes. fast.
6: The February workshop. Now, can you talk and tell us about that one? Yes, I'm very excited about that because I've just confirmed that we will be having Steve Hall, who's a local photographer. He now works at the Queen Victoria. He's just won an award. Steve, I hope you're listening. And he will be coming to do another daytime workshop, which will run from approximately 11 till 4. So the full details of that, as it's not till February, we will be uh, announcing as soon as we can. Uh, We're working on the ideas. It will be very, very interactive, and it will show people, as well, how to get the best out of their Mm -hmm. mobile phone cameras. Um, Steve has just been in a uh, conference in Scotland, uh, he's just won an award for his photography at Queen Victoria Hospital, and he told me that, among other things, I was quite surprised that photography now is can be used to diagnose certain forms of skin cancer. I believe is what he told me. Uh, so, medical photography might seem to be a bit specialist, but it, Steve has is has all round photographic skills. He can do absolutely anything, landscape uh still life yeah i've seen his photographs they're absolutely amazing and he's an absolutely lovely person very warm and and lovely and, and and extremely generous so i met him at the lingfield marathon years ago and uh and he he got me interested in developing my photography a little bit through joining a uh a, a camera club which actually runs here in the jubilee center mm. or or did i think it it had a room here and, and that was my first introduction to that <laughs> Uh, I'm really happy that he uh, has agreed to lead this workshop. Again, there'll be a small charge, and again, we'll have a light lunch.
7: Well, it's getting exciting as we get nearer to these dates, isn't it? Yes,
6: I know it is a long way away, but get the dates in your diary. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all very good value for money in my opinion, <laughs> and you don't have to go to London
2: no, definitely <laughs> spend not. All
6: a fortune. They,
7: all they need to do is go to the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul in Lingfield.
6: Yes, Ellie is there uh, every morning from 9 till 12.30, I think not Tuesdays. Now, will you be adding any more events? Oh, yes, it's talk, workshop, music, talk, workshop, music and following the photography. Um, so we're, so also I'm also looking to do a poetry workshop and we're also looking to do something with local youngsters, which is a big secret at the moment.
7: <laughs> oh, don't we, just, don't we? Just love secrets. Andrea, thank you so much for coming in today. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely. Thank you very much.
1: Samantha Day in conversation there with Andrea Watson. For more information on the Arts and Music programme, you can contact the Church of St Peter and St Paul via their website at lingfieldparishchurch.org. That's lingfieldparishchurch.org. Or you can call the parish office on 01342 832 021. That's 01342 832021. We'll post the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. A couple of weeks ago, on its afternoon show, Norman Wong spoke to Brian Robinson about the Lingfield Art Exhibition, which starts tomorrow. Well,
0: it's an exhibition that's been run in Lingfield, and that's Lingfield with a G. Well, it would have been 45 years had it not been for COVID. So this is the 44th year. It, I guess, serves three functions firstly it's an opportunity for artists locally to demonstrate their work and that could be anybody who's maybe come to art just this year or it could be somebody who has been doing it for 20 years so so it's for newcomers and established artists exactly okay yeah, yeah. um and even a few professionals come along as well oh, okay uh, although we don't uh we prefer the, the newcomers.
8: So, exactly where will the exhibition be held?
0: Well, it's the Lingfield and Dormans Community Centre, which is right in the middle of Lingfield. Yeah, it's on the, it's it. on the high street, on isn't it? On the high it? street, yeah, absolutely. Can't miss it. There will be a couple of flags up and a poster okay. to uh, advertise where it is. Between the 24th and the 30th of October, it, the doors open at 10 o'clock every day and close at four. With the exception of Sunday, where we close at 3, that's that's the final that's Sunday. That's the final day. Uh, the final day when we have to take down and hand back anything that's not been sold or pass on to the purchasers, things uh, that have oh, been so, sold. So uh,
8: as well as being exhibited for people to look and enjoy, the, the, the artwork is for sale.
0: Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, This year we have about slightly less than two hundred and fifty paintings on the walls because we've got one or two sculptures that are on the tables, but they're all there and they're all for sale.
8: Yeah, that was what I wanted to ask because you know, artwork. People initially will think of paintings. Yeah. But I was interested to know if sculpting sculptures were you know included in the exhibition. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope they are because I'm a sculptor. Oh. (laughs) Well, we'll have to talk a little bit about that then. (laughs) Yes, indeed. There are things on the wall, but there are also cheaper paintings that are not framed that are in browsers where you can just thumb through and look at them. On the whole, they're a lot cheaper than the things on the walls because the cost of framing is quite considerable these days. The beauty of it is, I think, that if you see something on the wall by a particular artist and you like the style, you may well find something in the browsers by the same artist, but at a lot less... And t- talking about that, there's one other thing that you might like to do, and that's to look at the cards. We have lots and lots of greetings cards for sales. Most of the artists who are established, shall we say, have been doing it for years. Also, they, they, the paintings that they have, they will reduce in size and get printed into a greetings oh, card. OK, into a greetings so card. So you can buy something, which you see on the wall, but at a fraction of the cost, and you can send it to your friend's as a, as a greetings card. It sounds like uh, useful for, with Christmas coming up, as a Christmas greeting yeah, card. Yeah, M- most of them are blank inside, so you can put whatever message you like. And so, they range in price, so are very competitive, anything from a pound up to about £2.50. Oh, okay. oh, so it's not... Yeah, I mean, it, it, in terms of price for the things on the walls, I guess from probably about £50... Pounds upwards mm-hmm. um and we've got a couple this year that are in, in the high hundreds oh so you you've, they're more established artists obviously yes who have a reputation but would the artists be predominantly local absolutely um mostly from lingfield east greenstead maybe lindfield maybe haywards heath yeah up as far as Caterham. one or two from so places like Orpington, or okay. you know, further yeah. afield, and and on the whole, that's people who started locally and then moved away, but still want to contribute. So you've got approximately two hundred and
8: fifty exhibits. Yeah. So you're not looking for people to um, submit ex- ex- exhibits this year.
0: Not this year. Now the, the the books are closed. Close, We've got yeah. more or less as many as we can cope with. And maybe next year I can come back along a few weeks before the exhibition. Absolutely, more than welcome. Um, and and. Uh, that then we have the opportunity of trying to attract more artists. Yes. This year we have about 70 artists um, contributing those 200 and something paintings. So yeah, we can always take some more.
8: Is there a competition in any of this? In any of this work, is or <laughs> um, is it just you not know,
0: between the artists who are submitting for sale? Right. Um, what we have done over recent years is have a schools competition. Ah. Um We've uh, tried to get the local schools involved. And it's not uh, totally altruistic because we're trying to get younger people into to to become part of the team to to run the exhibition, but also younger people to come and look at the exhibition. On the whole, it tends to be people who've retired or who have come back to art having done it earlier in their life. So the school's competition is, is quite fun because this year we've got Sackville School and Oxted School involved and we've asked the tutors to send along the works from their best students. So we get each school to submit three paintings. Then we judge them, and then we there are prizes. There's a £100 prize for the first, £50 for the second, and £25 for the third. So is the
8: exhibition just paintings? And it, and you mentioned there were sculptures, but is the paintings oil or water? What What is it?
0: Well, the traditional view, of course, is oil is on, on canvas. Yes. Um, but everything goes these days. Um, it could be watercolour, it could be acrylic, and we have people who just draw in pencil or pen and ink, a whole variety of things that people have a, a particular talent for. Well, I've just looked at my notes and I see that, in addition, we've got collage, oh. we've got um, some artistic words, works made out of felt, um, which is quite different and, and yes. very beautiful. And we've even got people who've, who've used glass um, or, and fused glass and, and it makes a wonderful, wonderful picture. I'm sure. So rather than say what is included, is there anything that would be sort of excluded? Well, we've rather resisted over the years having prints of anything. Yeah. All the works should be original works, not prints of them. And we've resisted photographs But that is changing and interestingly one of the uh, pictures that's been submitted by the school is a photograph that has been digitally altered um, to make a work of art and we may have to reconsider what we consider to be art for the main exhibition in the future. So I I did
8: see in some publicity that last year's winning entry, it it looks like it's metalwork, you know, uh, wine, (laughs) there's a wine opener there, (laughs) knife and fork. But that was
0: was all a pencil drawing. That was a pencil drawing. Pencil drawing, absolutely incredible, because it has all the reflections of other things. It looks as if it might be a photograph. Yeah, I, and Very because tough.
8: it was it's printed on a mat- on the publicity material, I wasn't sure yeah. what what that was. Yeah, uh, you know, how pen, pen, it was pencil produced. Pencil drawing. Oh, wow, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, amazing eye for detail. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your submission? Your <laughs> <little bit? laughs> well, sculpture is something which um, I guess fewer people do it because it involves quite a lot of technical work. Um, the, the, the traditional view of sculpture is is carving large chunks of stone with yep. a hammer and chisel. The cheaper way of doing it, <laughs> um, which is what people can afford ultimately to buy, is is to make something out of clay and then create a mould mm. and from that mould cast an object. And that object is could be... You have a, a mixture of bronze and resin to coat the inside of the mould and then you backfill the, the mould with a... Mom- a cheaper and more inert material and then when it comes out of the mould you can polish it and it looks just as if it's come out of a foundry. Wow. I mean it really is a very good technique and it's been used for many many years now because casting things in a foundry is so very expensive and the difference in price. uh, On one occasion I was up at the National Gallery and they had versions of a a sculpture. One was made in a foundry and uh, was nearly eight hundred pounds, and the one that had been made out of bronze resin was eighty pounds, <laughs> to give you some idea of yeah. the differences involved.
8: What, what what actually is your role with the art the exhibition?
0: <laughs> well, currently I chair the team who um, prepare everything for the exhibition, and there's an amazing amount of work goes on behind the scenes, as always on these occasions yeah. um, when we produce a catalogue of all the items that are going on the wall so that when you come in, you can go through it all. And maybe you want to go home and reconsider whether you come back and purchase something.
8: Uh, I'm assuming you're a volunteer. Oh, all in a, of us. In a all the team role. are volunteers. Oh,
0: OK. Um, I guess it started from a group of artists who had wanted to show off their wares. Over the years, that's changed slightly, and that's changed partly because... Of the difficulty of getting people to volunteer, not not unique to the art show. No. So, um, are you looking for volunteers? For we're the, for always looking for volunteers, both to join the team, and there could be artists or there could be people who just want to help. Yeah. Um. But particularly during the days when we set up the exhibition and when we take it down again.
8: Let's just recap. It's running for a week. From the 24th to the 30th of October, it's open. It's free entry, I'm assuming? Free entry. Free entry. We do sell a catalogue
0: uh, for those who want to, but uh, if you don't want to, you can wander around and enjoy the exhibition.
8: And it runs from 10am through to 4pm, except on the Sunday when it closes at 3pm. The artwork is available to buy. Uh, tea, coffee and homemade cakes are available for refreshments when you visit. Yep. And, of course, like most activities volunteers are more than welcome, and there's a call for volunteers. And if you are interested in volunteering, probably the best thing to do is people go to the website. That's right, so yes. they can find more, more information about the exhibition.
0: Absolutely,
1: it's all on the website. Brian Robinson talking there to Norman Wong. And if you'd like to find out more about the art exhibition or volunteer your services, you can visit lingfieldart.org. That's lingfieldart.org. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Earlier in the week, Samantha Day was joined by Danielle Draper from the National Cat Adoption Centre at Chelwood Gate near Haywards Heath. They spoke about the Firewalk for Cats fundraising event that's taking place again this coming Saturday evening, the 29th of October.
9: I've done it a couple of times, and it is great fun. It's really, really good. Um, I mean, it's not something you get to do every day, um, and uh, it's really exciting and the kind of unknown, but it's really good fun. So this year I'm not doing it. I'm going to host and, and be there and supporting everybody else that's doing it. I'm going to take this one off, but, um, yeah, it's uh, really good fun. So I'm really looking forward to it. Now,
7: just tell me, you say you've done that. Uh, was it painful to
9: walk on those hot coals? Do you know what? It's... Um, it's, no, it's not painful at all it's kind of you have to get yourself into this mindset that you're going to walk over because you're standing at the front uh, you know and looking down this kind of corridor of uh heat and you're thinking oh I, am i going to do this but you you're so prepared and you're so ready and the trainers are brilliant and you spend a good hour beforehand um sort of learning all about it and getting yourself into the right mindset so that by the time you go down there you just can't wait you just want to get it done and you want to kind of um, get out there, and everyone's cheering you, and it all kind of helps. And um, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt. It's great fun, and um, it's uh, it's bizarre that it doesn't hurt, but it's it's really good. Let's hope that
7: lots of people are going to support you because this is a big fundraising event for you, isn't it? You are the lar- UK's yeah. largest cat welfare charity.
9: Yeah, yeah, this it, it, it is um, a really um, important sort of day for us. It's a, a fundraising um, activity, as you um, pointed out already. It's celebrating Black Cat Day, which um, Cats Protection can celebrate each year because historically black cats have always been um, a bit harder for us to home. They're always sort of the ones that were picked last. Even if you had a litter of kittens, it would be the same. And slowly over the years, as we've celebrated black cats every year, um, that figure's coming down and down. So it's great. It's more people are kind of seeing the cats for the personality, um, forgetting about all the superstitions they might have heard in the past. Um, i've always been led to believe black cats are lucky anyway so um <laughs> we're celebrating black cats and um doing it in a way that is you know it's really good fun as well at the same time
7: i could never really get my head around this bit about black cats because i think black cats are absolutely beautiful
9: yeah i th- i agree they're absolutely stunning especially when they have those sort of like green or amber eyes and they're just absolutely beautiful like this panther kind of silky black fur um and uh, yeah they're absolutely stunning so i totally agree
7: <laughs> it's just getting other people to do really isn't it but uh, yeah
9: indeed yeah. yeah like i say it's not as bad as it used to be i think more people are kind of understanding like i say we promote it every year as well so um that's really helpful and then this is just a, a way of celebrating black cats and raising money for the center at the same time how many cats do you
7: normally have in care at any one time
9: not. Um, um, I don't this, think
7: at Chelwood Gate, but over the, all the different sites.
9: Oh, thousands. Um, absolutely thousands. I mean, this centre alone, um, we have nearly two hundred cats in care. There's like thirty-two adoption centres throughout the UK. Um, there's about two hundred and thirty branches, which are volunteer-run, so they're throughout the UK as well. So they have foster pens um, or rooms in their homes that they dedicate to foster cats as well. So there's thousands of cats all over the UK looking for new homes with cats protection. So. Um, it doesn't matter where you live if you type in cats protection um, you'll be able to put in your postcode and it will bring up all the centres and branches that are local to you um, if you are looking to adopt so how many people are you
7: expecting to come and put themselves forward for the firewalk
9: so at the moment we've got i think 17 people that are going to walk over hot coals for cats so which is amazing there's still time to sign up so if any of your listeners are interested. Um, and would like to walk over Hot Coals for Cats, they can actually still sign up. Um, You just need to go on our website, which is cats.org.uk forward slash NCAC Firewalk, and you can sign up there. So there's still time, even though um, it's on the 29th, there's still plenty of time to sign up. Will
7: they get their um, fundraising pack, though?
9: Yes. So the fundraising pack gets sent out. It's a uh, £30 um, sign-up fee and then a... Uh, fundraising target of 120 pounds, um, but um, we can promote it all over our Facebook, and um, hopefully, loads of people will then also come up on the night to support and help as well.
7: Oh, it'd, be no- it'd be nice to have people supporting, even if they don't want to do it, they can be there, yeah. can't they? Yeah.
9: Supporting those people,
7: and yeah, I'd be a little bit nervous about it, but <laughs> good luck to all of them that are doing that now um you've got food and refreshments
9: there yes so if you are just coming up to to watch and support everybody it's still a fun night we've got hot food hot drink um we've got a band playing throughout the night which is going to be really good we've got indoor seating area so if it is a bit cold it's not a problem um and obviously you've got the fire walk itself which is just fantastic to watch um and the guys that organize that really get the crowd involved as well so um a really good evening just from the spectators point of view um, as well as the guys that are actually doing the fire themselves.
7: That's really really good isn't it and you do need that support obviously because you put such a lot of work in to looking after all the cats which is absolutely wonderful. Now if, if anybody wanted to contact the Cats Protection how can they do that?
9: So um, yeah best thing to do is go on the website because like I say there's lots of Cats Protection um, centres and branches throughout so if you go onto the website cats.org.uk um, and put in your postcode and that will take you to your nearest centre or branch and then you can contact them directly. So that's if you're thinking about adopting a cat or if sadly you're looking to relinquish your cat or you just want some advice. We've got loads of advice about cat care, cat behaviour, um, what to do if you find a stray cat, um, what to do in sort of a different event. So um, if your cats are doing something that they don't normally do, there's loads of great advice on there. So um, it's a wealth of knowledge or our website so yeah just pop on there and you can find out everything you need to know
7: now is there a telephone number
9: where they can directly ring your adoption center yes so if you want to contact the center in chelwoodgate you can phone 01825 and that will bring you through to our main reception area here
7: and then of course you are on uh, facebook as well yeah
9: we've got our facebook so just search for national cat adoption center which is this center here in Chelwood Gate. Um, and it will bring up our Facebook. We've got Instagram page as well and Twitter as well. Um, we've also got a Just Giving page for the Black Cat Firewalk, um, which anyone that wants to donate, they can do. If you just go on Just Giving, if you just search in BCF 2022, so BCF stands for Black Cat Firewalk 2022, and that will take you to our Just Giving page, and you can donate there.
1: Danielle Draper talking there to Samantha Day. And as a reminder, to find out more about this year's Firewalk, visit cats.org.uk forward slash NCAC Firewalk. That's cats.org.uk forward slash NCAC Firewalk. Or to donate, visit JustGiving.com and search for NCAC Black Cat Firewalk. That's JustGiving.com, search for NCAC Black Cat Firewalk. We'll post direct links to both on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on MeridianFM.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.